Well, good morning. I haven't been up here yet, so good to see everybody. Glad you guys were able to make it this morning. Uh, I said last week I was going to give some examples of where the uh, news media and politicians are kind of, you know, not supporting Christianity. But after the um, events of this past week, <laughs> I'm ready to kind of move on. Uh, and uh, I, I will say this, it's dangerous. They are censoring, uh, censoring uh, free speech. And so that's a danger. That's uh, scary. It's only happening to conservatives. Typically, the most conservative people are evangelical Christians. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what the future holds, and are we ready to respond the way Christ wants us to respond? But here's the exciting thing: throughout the Bible, throughout history, what we've seen is that when times get tough, Christians get going. They get on the move. There's something about difficult times that allows God to do his greatest work in and through Christians. It's it's kind of this thing where the darker the world gets, the brighter faithful Christians will shine. Or the, the, the greater the discouragement and the chaos and the concern of this world, the more at peace and under control faithful Christians will appear to be to the world. And then that allows us then to accomplish, with God's strength, of course, the mission that he's given us, this incredible mission of bringing the gospel to our world. We're all living on borrowed time. And so we're looking at the Apostle Paul's last words to Timothy, because he's, he's sitting in prison waiting to find out if he's going to die or not. And we know now that he does end up being killed by the Roman authorities. And you talk about uh, censoring speech. I mean, they're getting rid of Paul. They're taking him out, taking his life because of just simply wanting to share the gospel message. And so he starts out uh, this chapter, and again, just so everyone understands, back when Paul was writing this, he didn't write chapter one, you know, Dear Timothy. It was a letter. And then as the letter was passed around and people were making copies of, of that, of this letter, and then eventually got to the point where people started studying it, they thought it'd be easier to just do chapter and verse. That way you can point to a chapter and verse and that type of thing. And so he's, he's writing to Timothy his last words. And throughout this chapter, we're going to see that all these commands that Paul gives Timothy, all these verbs, most of them, the vast majority are present verbs, and if you're into English and all kinds of, they're present. In other words, it's a continual day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances are. And so we're going to be talking about these last words of Paul, so we have an idea of what it is that we need to be doing in our lives. So go ahead and turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's page 1191, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And what Paul is doing, he's shifting his attention off the the mission that we have outside the walls of our building to what should be happening inside the walls. What do we need to be doing to prepare the next generation to accomplish the mission? And so he starts out by telling Timothy to to be strong, and the the better translation might be to be strengthened. It helps us understand it better, because this is a, um, a perfect passive imperative. It's a 
It's perfect, meaning it happens all the time. It's passive, meaning it happens to Timothy, or in our, our case, to us. It's an imperative, so it's a command. So it's day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, let Christ strengthen you, is what he's getting at. And then we're going to look at some ways it's going to happen as we go through this. So we need to be strengthened in the face of persecution, strengthened in the face of suffering. And suffering in context here is suffering for the gospel, suffering because we're doing life God's way. So I'm going to read through the entire passage. Okay, so hang in there with me. Um, it's God's word that's powerful and active, not my words. And so I want us to get all the way through this and we'll come back and we'll, we'll uh, work through it. So Paul's telling, saying to Timothy, you therefore, because of all that we learned in 1 Timothy 1, all that, including the fact that he's suffering for the gospel, that people are going to reject you, some people will die for their faith. Because of all that, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me. There he goes again. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service, which is all of us, by the way, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier, in our case, Jesus Christ. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the son of David, according to my gospel, for which I, have suffer, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, since the gospel is not imprisoned, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so they chosen those who have put their faith in Christ or will put their faith in Christ, so they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory, heaven. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them, talking about the faithful men, of these things, all that Paul is saying, and solemnly charge them or warn them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to ruin, the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately dividing the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk, the worldly empty chatter, will spread like gangrene. Right? Among them are Hermeneus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. The Christians have already been taken up, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. In other words, God's got this. Having a seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, or in Christianity, so this is an illustration, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware. So I'm kind of helping you understand. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the message. Uh, and some to honor, those are the gold and silver vessels, and some to dishonor, those are the wood and earthenware, clay. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, is wooden clay or dishonorable things, which are the worldly and empty chatter, 
he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart for God's use, useful to the master, to Christ, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts. So just FYI, when I was growing up, my mom used to say this all the time, Harold, you need to flee from youthful lusts. What she meant was, you need to stop chasing the girls. That, that's what she was talking about. This is not what this is talking You shouldn't be chasing girls, men, but that's not what this is talking about. The first service actually laughed at that, men, you shouldn't be chasing after girls, but all you guys are like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're all convicted, you know. First service is, hey, we don't do that, that's funny. Anyways, so, sorry. So this, what he's talking about here is youthful lust, this selfish ambitions that could be related to teaching or leading. So here's a young guy. He's already a little bit concerned. First Timothy talks about the fact that he's, you know, he's, Paul's telling him, man, you got to lead, you got to lead. But there's some inherent uh, dangers if you become an effective leader, because if you're an effective leader, you can get people to follow you. And if you're not leading them in the right direction, that could be a dangerous thing. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, don't be in this to get people just to follow you for the sake of following you. So pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on, a, on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So those false teachers, the guys who are doing things wrong, Hopefully, we get them back to leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So we want to break this, these verses down. We're going to take them in big chunks. Um, so keep your Bible open, and you'll have to refer to them. I'm not going to reread them for you. But chapter uh, 2, verse 1. Verse 1 probably better fits with chapter 1, because coming right out of that whole thing about, you know, people have left me, uh, these guys have left me, and, but, you know, Onesiphorus, he actually died for his faith. Uh, be strong, Timothy. You know, so he's just giving them some bad news. And so he wants them to be strong. He's, that's what the therefore is there for. Looking back on what he says, he says, be strong. Again, this is present passive. It's a command to continually, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, let Christ strengthen you. It's not something that Timothy needs to come, you know, kind of build up within himself and you know, the football players, they're out banging each other's shoulder pads, smacking each other's helmets, getting us all psyched up. This isn't a thing where we psych ourselves up. This is a thing where Christ does something in and through us that strengthens us, that helps us face whatever's coming down the pike. And he talks about it, it's the grace, and another word better maybe for us to understand is gift that is in Christ Jesus. And so whatever it is that we have in our salvation, we've talked about there's a lot of things that God gives us when we place our faith in Christ and we become one of his children, become part of his spiritual family. We talked about it last week. It summed up you know, a spirit of power, love, and discipline. We talked about the fact that when we, when we face whatever's coming our way, whatever persecution or suffering or people making fun of us, family getting upset with us, friends getting whatever it is, when we face that in the, in the spirit that he's given us, which is power, love, and discipline, then we're going to be courageous, and we're going to stand in there, and we're going to represent. But if we don't, then we're going to be cowardly. That's what the word timid means. We're going to be cowardly. We're going to hide. We're going to kind of walk away from the conversation. We don't want to be a part of it. We want to maybe make it look like we're not really who we say we are. 
But as Christians, our strength is not in us, but it's in Christ who gives it to us through his Holy Spirit, through his word, through his church family, and through the mission that we have. And so we need to remember that. And, and the cool thing, too, part of this is, if we understand that us taking that abuse will cause some people to come to Christ, that in itself should strengthen us, right? If we know that, man, we stand in there and, and we do what we're supposed to do and as best that we can and God empowers us and God works in it and works in their lives and works in our lives, some of our friends and family are to come to Christ, that should just strengthen us to stand in there in spite of what we might be feeling. So now one of the gifts that Jesus gives us is his spiritual family. So this is the shift. And he goes from doing the mission to what we need to do as a church family. And there's strength in numbers. So Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, I want you to develop a team. You need some people around you. You need a team. Have you ever seen any riots with one person? No, I haven't either. They only get riotous. Now that for a word. They only get riotous when there's a group of them, when there's a, a bunch of them. Well, as Christians, on the positive side, we need to team up. And so Paul says, I want you to get a team of teachers together. He says, I, I want you to entrust them. There's that word again. He uses it in verse, or chapter 1. This idea of entrusting them, the gospel and all, all the other teachings that go with it. And again, what does entrust mean? It's a great word. It means that you give it to somebody, and then they, you entrust it to them. So then now they have it. And so we have the gospel and all the teachings that Paul has given us and Peter has given us and the Bible has, and we hold on to it and we protect it. We make sure that people don't try to change the gospel. We don't let them change the other doctrines. We hold on to it and we protect it. And then we hand it off to others. So then they have it now, and they're supposed to hold on to it, and they're supposed to protect it, and they're supposed to keep people from trying to change it. And then they hand it off. That's happened century after century after century from Jesus Christ to today. And the churches that are truly teaching God's word, who are truly teaching the gospel, is a straight line all the way back to Jesus Christ. So we have this incredible history, we have this incredible heritage of developing teams and passing things off. He says to entrust them to faithful men. So men, <laughs> once again, I'm talking to you. God's talking to you. He entrusts the gospel and the teachings to faithful men who will then entrust it to other faithful men. He's talking to us. I know that scares some of you guys spitless. But it's exciting. It's unbelievable that we get to be a part of this. A lot of churches will say, hey, come to church, you know, sit in the pews, maybe serve somewhere, but us pastors, we got it. We got it taken care of. And I get it. Like on a Sunday morning like this, yeah, I get it. You know, the pastor's up here, I should be teaching, and we should have men who are, you know, trained and maybe have some formal training. But, you know, there are people pushing for um, not allowing Christian schools to have accreditation anymore. Now we're gonna, now what are we gonna do? The world doesn't credit us, accredit us. Ooh, you know. Anyways, but we have that push starting to happen in our country. And, but I get it. You know, that's kind of maintained for pastors, and we you know we get paid to do it and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot more of teaching that needs to happen in our churches. 
I can't get in everything on a Sunday morning. You guys, we're just kind of skipping through the high points of chapter 2, and I'll probably go long again today to get through it all. I, I can't get into all the details here on a Sunday morning. I can't feed you fully on a Sunday morning. This is more like an appetizer. This is an hors d'oeuvre. Then you go home, and then you really start getting into it. You get the meat and taters, baked, sour cream. Oh, boy, getting hungry. God doesn't want it just to be some professional guy standing up front talking at you. That's not what a church family is. It's a church family coming together. And there are some faithful men who I have the responsibility of teaching and training. And as we grow as a church, we may have to hire some other people to be able to do that. But we always have those who are not paid people who are going to be teaching. And we have the responsibility as men. God's given us, whether you like it or not, or society likes it or not, God has given men the responsibility to set the spiritual environment in their home and in the church. That's our responsibility. Again, the world doesn't like hearing that. Social media would take that and rip me to shreds. But that's what God's word says, and we're going to do life God's word, God's way. That's the question before us. I choose to, our church chooses to, our campuses choose to do it God's way. And so, for Timothy to be strong, for the church to be strong, for our church to be strong, we need some faithful men to step up, allow me to train and teach you, so that you can help with the teaching, the training, the discipling. And let me go one step further and step on everybody else's toes. We're all given this responsibility of discipleship. You may not lead a formal Bible study, but what, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room right now, according to Jesus, Matthew 28, you and I, as followers of Christ, have a responsibility to disciple other people, make disciples, and teach them all that Jesus has taught us. That's our responsibility. I can't force you to do it. <laughs> I became a pastor because I love doing it so much, they told me I could get paid for it. You know, so I thought, all right, I'll do that. But even, I was talking to a guy after the service last week, and he asked me, he said, uh, so like if you were put in prison, you know, what would you do? And I said, I'd like to say I'd keep doing what I'm doing now. Because when I was a carpenter, I was doing this. When I was a facility coordinator, I was doing this. When I worked in the, in the bank, I did this. Because, you know, after all, this is all there is to life, right? Because we're going to be spending an eternity in heaven. So, Titus 2 says, older men are to teach the younger men, and uh, older women are to teach the... So we got both in there, men and women. You guys heard about the whole prayer thing that happened in Congress? Right. Amen and a woman, the guy said. Anyways, I wasn't going to bring it up. But So the older men are supposed to teach the younger men, to, the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. It's interesting to me, uh, I, may bring, I may share more of this, but I started thinking about this week, the whole idea that as Americans and as American church, we have been a church that's not been pressured by society at all. And it's interesting because when we look at the churches in America compared to the churches elsewhere in the world who are pressured or in the first century that was pressured, it's interesting the differences between our churches and what's going on in our churches. I may say more about that later, uh, next week or the week after. I don't know. I'm just kind of doing it in my own head. But one of the interesting dynamics, not only do we have this thing where 
well, we don't need anybody else teaching in our churches. We'll just let the pastors do it. The other thing is, we've got this mindset that church needs to be something for me. And what, how that, one of the ways it plays out, there's a lot of different ways, but one of the ways it plays out is, like, we have a, a, two small groups going on, a women's and a men's. Women meet in the quad, we meet here in, in the, on Thursday nights, the men meet in here. But then there's always a thought of, you know, well, we should do more, but, you know, have the age groups split up. And so then my, right away I go, okay, well, Titus 2. Titus 2 says men, older men with the younger men, older women with the younger women. There's, there's something about older Christians dealing with younger Christians and younger Christians maybe pressuring the older Christians. There's something about that that God says, I want that in my church. I want my, my spiritual family to be interacting all ages. And so we got to be careful. As an unpressured church, we do church certain ways, but when we start looking at the Bible, it's, I'm not really sure if that's what we should be doing. And people say, hey, I get, you know any good books that we should study? The Bible? <laughs> you know, I, and again, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't, I don't try to be a smart aleck, but sometimes it's really hard not to be a smart aleck. You know, I mean, <sighs> I told Kim, I said, I don't know. I get up front in front of people, I start being myself, and it might be a bad thing, but, you know, let's study the Bible. What, what greater thing can we do than to literally have the Bible open, study it during the week, come together on a Thursday night and talk about it? Which, by the way, guys, and Kim's got something going on, but we're going to do Romans next. We're using a study guide right now. The guys who are there know that I haven't been using it since the third week. <laughs> Toss that out. I thought that would be good. I mean, the guy who wrote it, you know, I, I'm not saying who it is or what. I'm, I, I'm reading scripture and I'm asking the questions. You know, there weren't anything wrong with what he was asking. It just didn't penetrate the scripture at all. It's just kind of weird. Anyways, moving on. I'm getting died. No wonder I go long. Um, so then this team needs to be dedicated to the mission. That's the second thing he talks about in verses 3 through 7. And he uses three illustrations for that. The first one is that of a soldier. He says, join me in being a soldier. A soldier, and this is a soldier who's in battle. This isn't a soldier who's come home from battle and is hanging out on the base. This is a guy who's in battle. So in a face of um, pushback, in a face of suffering for the sake of the gospel, which we are all in battle right now today, whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, we are in a battle. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy and that he needs to pass on to these faithful men, and really to all of us as a church, is that we need to be soldiers who are totally committed to the mission, not distracted by anything. You go to work, why? For the gospel. You're in your neighborhood, why? For the gospel. You're in your family, why? For the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Yeah, you go be the best employee you can possibly be. The Bible tells you to do that. Why? To represent Christ and for the gospel. It's always about the gospel. So we are, we are not distracted by everything else in life and everyone's worries about life and everyone's fears about life. We just, we're all about the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us. And that's what God's having Paul tell Timothy. We, like an athlete then who's committed to play by the rules to win the prize. So he takes it another step. Because, so what's that look like? Well, we got to play by the rules. We got to do life the way God says to do life. We got Christians who are doing a little bit, you know, doing life a little bit their way, 
a little bit God's way, a little bit their way. And what Paul's saying, you can't do it that way. You can't get through it. You won't be able to face whatever's coming your way for the sake of the gospel if you're going to do life hmm, part God's way, part my way. You've got you to be all in, do life God's way. I'm telling you guys, doing life God's way is only going to look more and more strange to the world around us. And we've got to be ready for that. Are we committed to that? Are you committed to be able to stand there when someone's calling you do you want to kill people because you're meeting together as a church? It's happening to people. We got to be, we want to do it God's way because in the end there's a prize. We already get heaven, but there's a prize else. There's something more that God offers. It talks about rewards that God's going to give those of us who are faithful to doing life God's way. And then a farmer, a hardworking farmer, continually works hard because he knows he's going to have a harvest. And that should be the encouragement for us. That when we do this, and we're hard working at this, and we're focused on this, and we're doing it by the rules, in the end, your family and friends, your co-workers, your neighbors are going to come to Christ. That's awesome. That, that's just like, there's nothing better to know that someone's going from hell to heaven. Nothing better. I don't care what's out there. There's nothing better. What an awesome gift from Christ, the grace from Christ. This, he says, goes on and says, this team must continually remember Jesus in, in verses 8 through 13. So remembering Jesus, what, what does it mean to remember Jesus? Again, it's a present imperative, so it's an ongoing, every day, no matter what's happening, we need to remember Jesus. Remember what? Two big things. One, remember that Jesus is alive. So no matter what you're facing, you know Jesus is alive. He's not dead anymore. He rose from the dead. He's in heaven, but he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's still alive. And what that means then is the gospel is not imprisoned. The gospel is, a, is active. It's, it's effective. And so as you face life, as I face life, and as we represent Christ and his gospel, we have to constantly remember, even though it may look like people are freaking out and People aren't getting the message, and people are, it just doesn't seem to be working. Now, remember, constantly, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the response is, you say, God, that to remember Jesus, that he's alive and his gospel is active. That's what we got to remember. Secondly, this one's awesome. Well, they're all awesome. Remember that Jesus is faithful. He gives us a first century creed or, or part of a song. We're not really sure what it is. And it goes like this, 11 through 13. I can throw it up there. Thank you. It's a trustworthy statement, he says. Now, again, context here is suffering for the sake of the gospel, not suffering out of health issues or whatever, but suffering for the sake of the gospel. If we died with him, in other words, if we placed our faith in Christ, Scripture says that if we place our faith in Christ, we've died with Christ. But then as he's lived, so shall we. So we are living in Christ. We live this earth, on this earth for Christ. We get to go to heaven because of Christ. If we endure, if, we, if we're faithful in suffering, if we represent Christ well during suffering, we'll reign with him. Eventually there's going to be an earthly kingdom that Jesus is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. And So maybe he's talking about that, that somehow we're going to come back to earth and we're going to reign with him. But then when it's all said and done, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and We'll reign with him there. We don't really understand. Point is, it's going to be good. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, it's just going to be good. 
This is the one that freaks people out. But the, the next phrase helps. If we deny him, if in the face of suffering for the gospel, we reject Jesus, he will also deny us. Now, ultimately what this is showing is that this person who's rejecting Jesus, and only God knows, okay? So don't start thinking, hey, I know this person, this person. Don't, don't do that. This is not you and me judging others. It's between them and the Lord. But here's the point. If we're continually denying Jesus, not living for him, not representing him, if it ever gets to the point where you're standing before somebody says, reject Jesus or die, like Paul's doing, and the person says, yeah, yeah, I reject him. What Jesus is saying there is, I know that you're not a follower of mine. You never were a follower of mine. And so what's he going to do? He's going to deny him, obviously, because a person hasn't placed their faith in him. Again, we don't know who these people are because here's, here's the next one. I think you're confused now. If we are faithless, if we're fearful, if we, if we don't believe, if we're scared, if we're nervous, if, if maybe even we say, yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm not like Peter, you know, I'm not really Christian. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Again, only the Lord knows, you and the Lord know whether you're a follower of Christ or not, Okay? What, what Paul is reminding Timothy is that even those who get to that point where they're going to reject Jesus, if they're truly saved, Jesus is faithful. Jesus can't deny himself. Why? Because we are in Christ at salvation. We are in Christ, Scripture says, and Christ is in us. So in that case... We are his, we are him. We're not, you know, we're not uh, God, but we are connected with him in a relationship that will not be broken. One, this is eternal security. You accept Christ in your life and your, your faith, you know, you truly believe at that moment. You don't have to ask for salvation again, all right? Because Jesus is faithful. Even if you get to the point where you want to reject him, he's still going to be faithful. Now, why does he put this in here? I, I think for this reason. Because if you're, go ahead, go back. Because if you're in this lower section here, that knowledge should give you strength to not reject him. Because again, this is in the whole thing of suffering for the sake of the gospel. You and I know now that even if I get to the point where I'm nervous and scared about representing Christ, but I know that he won't let me go, that I'm going to go to heaven, that I should just toss the fear and step up. That's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy and what Timothy's supposed to tell these faithful men and that what we as a church need to know. So then Paul goes full circle. Starts with, hey, entrust what I've taught to you to these faithful men. Now he's saying to these faithful men, you guys, you need to be reminded to be involved in God's word. Okay? You personally need to be involved in God's word. So we need to correctly know and use God's word. Now, I can't get into everything in this passage, okay? Um, like I said, I could go an hour, and I'm, I'm trying not to do that this morning. There's a lot in here, and, and I hope you guys are reading 2 Timothy through the week, because the more you read it, if you can get through that numerous times over the next couple of weeks now, 
when we're in three and four over the next two weeks, you're going to understand a little bit better what's going on. God's going to be able to teach you and give you more clarity on that. So be in God's word, especially after I get done saying this. So the team, and really all of us, need to correctly know and use God's word. He says to remind and charge them. Here's that, con- that present imperative again. Continually, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, Timothy, teachers, remind. So I have to constantly remind you guys. So if you get tired of me going, oh, Harold, you keep on talking about it. I'm sorry God says for me to do it. So I apologize now. I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. And then charge them, to, to warn them of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. One of them is, don't waste teaching time on debates. Now, what's he mean by that? They're, you know, debates and false teaching and speculations. So he's talking to Timothy. Timothy's the pastor of the church, and so this is the teaching time. So on Sunday mornings and you know, Bible studies, when, when we're doing kind of group teaching, there's sometimes what will happen is somebody will come in and they have another belief, another thought. And so they may come in and they want to debate the teacher. I don't know if you've been in churches like this. I've been a pastor in churches like this. And it, it, what it does is exactly what Tim, or Paul says. It just kind of disrupts everything. Because, you know, let, I'm just going to pick out Mark. So let's say Mark comes in and Mark has a, a different belief on something and he wants to go to battle. Mark would never do this. This is why I'm picking on him. So he and I start getting in this debate. The rest of you guys are going to be going, man, what's the use of this? These two guys are just debating, arguing with each other. You know, this isn't, I'm not learning anything. Exactly. That's why we don't let that happen. That shouldn't happen. I was, uh, I told the, the nine o'clock um, service, I'll tell, it's a good story, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you. So I had a guy show up at a church, and the guy, wanted to, he asked me, hey, do you believe God speaks to you? I said, yeah, he speaks to us um, through the Holy Spirit and, and God's word. He goes, no, you don't understand me. Does God speak to you? Yes, God speaks to me uh, through the Bible, through his Holy Spirit. No, you're not understanding. Does God speak to you? I said, do you mean, does God like verbally speak to me? Yes. No. Because the Bible says that he's given me the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so this happened after. Okay, so it was, it was good. We did this afterwards. Anyways, well, the guy left, and then he starts emailing me all the stuff that God's been telling him. I don't know, I don't know this guy. That's what was so weird. I mean, he showed up, and I introduced myself to him. That's all I knew about him. <clears throat> so he starts emailing, telling me all the things that God's telling him to tell me. And so I, you know, I tried to respond back gently, kindly, lovingly, and he kept on doing it. So finally I just said this. Let me, let me just end with this. <laughs> and in gently, loving way, I said, if you believe God still speaks to us verbally, then we need to go back to the Old Testament because that's how he spoke back then. And what the Bible tells me is that then you're a prophet... And if you're a prophet, then I need to listen to what you say. But if you're wrong, I have to stone you. And I don't want that responsibility on me. <laughs> One, because I'm old. Two, I've had shoulder surgery, so I can't throw very hard. And there's going to be a lot of stones that I need to throw at this guy to kill him. And I didn't want to do that. You know, I, again, gentle, loving. That's what Paul told Timothy. That's what I, and that's, that's a true story. It was, I, was, I had to confess some sin because I was sitting there typing going, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I did exactly what Paul told Timothy not to do, but it was kind of funny. He never got back to me, so I don't know. Um, anyways, but what do we do? We privately correct error. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Pull him aside because, like we talked about the, 
the different vessels. The person may just be ignorant. They just don't know. They just haven't studied the Bible well enough. And so we want to bring a person along. We want to encourage a person. So we need to be gentle. We need to be kind. We need to tell them what the truth is. Hopefully they'll repent, repent from their error and be useful for God. That's what we ultimately want, for people to be useful. Know God's word. Well, how do we know what false teaching is? Anybody, anybody in the banking world or been in the banking world? One of my fellow bankers right over there. You learn what a, a real $100 bill looks like. Then you'll be able to tell which ones are false. If you want to know what false teaching is, you need to know what the truth is, the word of truth. You need to be in God's word. And I know I say this a lot, but I've been told that I can remind you. So I'm doing that. So we need to diligent, diligently study and apply the truth. To be diligent. It's a present imperative. To be eager. To make every effort. To be persistent. Day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances. Study God's word. You'll present yourself approved to God. Not approved for salvation because you're already saved. But it'll prove that you're a follower of Christ. If, you're, if, you, if, if God put on, his, on flesh, God the Son put on flesh and died on the cross and rose from the dead to save you from hell, then whatever he says better be very, very important to you. Because anybody who's willing to give up their life to take your sin for an eternity on him, what he has to say is very important. Otherwise, why do it? And so we need to be, to show him, yeah, I, Lord, I, I want to know who you are, and so I want to be in it. A workman that's not ashamed. Workman, hard work. I, I wish there was something I could do, give you a pill, you know, or something, where all of a sudden, boom, you're spiritually mature, and you know everything about what the Bible teaches, and you know how to talk to people about it, and use illustrations, and you know, you're a little herald running around the community. And you all lose your hair and get fat. <clears throat> I can't do that. Do you, do you know why I'm so incredibly smart? <laughs> I couldn't even be serious when I said that. Couldn't even be serious. No, what I, I've had people say to me, man, I wish I just knew the Bible the way you did. Okay, I... I'm totally serious, you guys. I am really not that smart. You understand that, okay? That's why I have humor. That's how I got through life. The only reason, the only reason I can do what I do, thank God, is because I've spent time in the Bible. And then I spend time teaching the Bible to people and not doing the best job in the world and people encouraging me and then asking me questions and me, well, you know, I don't know that answer, so let me go back to the Bible, let me find that out, and then I find that out, and now I know something more, and I can tell them about it, and now I know how to better tell them next time, or, or I'm, we're at work, and somebody comes in, and they're having a bad day, and a verse comes to my mind that I read, it's, you know, the Bible talks about this, have you ever thought about, you know, giving your life to Christ, and blah, blah. it's because I'm 53 years old, and all that started when I was like eight years old, in our Awana clubs is what they had at our church, which comes out of this passage, approved workmen are not ashamed, Awana. And so I learned verses, and 
The more I learned verses, the more I'd go to school and be like, hey, wait a second. Life isn't like what this, you know, these kids are having bad times and their families and rough, but the Bible says this. And, and so then I would start talking to them, hey, do you know who Jesus is? I, I was really like uh, naive. I thought everybody knew Jesus, right? I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know, didn't realize that people didn't know who Jesus was. That was good, actually, some naivete. But the point is, the only reason that there, if you guys think I'm somehow some incredibly smart person, the only reason is because I've been in it. My point is, you can get there too. <laughs> you just got to put the time in, like I've done, like anybody else who teaches the Bible. You just got to put the time in. It's the word of truth. We live in a world that's full of error and wrong and falseness and We've got truth. We just need to be in it. We need to study it. We need to know it. We need to be reading it. And man, it's awesome when you are able to do that. So as the band comes up, what's, uh, what's the takeaway? Well, it's, it's pretty succinct this morning. Pretty um, easy. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you want to be strong in the face of suffering for the gospel, you need to develop a team. So I put myself in Timothy's sandals and I say, okay, what's, this, what's God telling me? Harold, you're not a lone ranger, you need to develop a team. So I'm putting together a team. We're not going to play softball, I'm not going to play football, flag football. We're going to help people know who Christ is through studying his word and teaching his word. So I'm putting together a team. Question is, will you be on that team? I'm broadening it because I'm very much about the whole gender thing. And uh, so we're men and women because everybody is responsible to disciple. I'm not saying that you're going to be here on a Sunday morning teaching. I'm not saying that. You know, guys, the scripture says this is a, the men are supposed to do this. Faithful men who meet the certain criteria, so not every man, but whatever the case, you know, maybe. I had Hagen up here one time teaching. Exactly, that's what, that's what we did too. When he, <laughs> well, perfect timing. I walked out bawling my eyes out like a baby. Anyways, so here's what we need to do. We got these micro groups coming up. We got small groups that we're gonna, we want to get started. It's more fellowship. We got these micro groups. If you're interested in facilitating one of those, teaching, discipling, I might even call them D groups for our four Ds that we have. But whatever the case, there's a sign-up sheet. Sign up. Even if you're not really sure, you're kind of like, yeah, well, I'd like to find out more. Sign up. I'm going to call a meeting. We'll get you guys together. We'll talk about what we want to do, how we want to do that. And I'm here for it. I'm, I'm going to help you all. I'm going to make sure you're set up for success, okay? I'm not going to throw you to wolves. I'm going to be there for you. And then when the wolves show up, I'm running. No, just kidding. Um, now, you, you need to be a member of our church to do this. And so we have a Connect class coming up on January 24th. Now, this is open for anybody. So if you want to find out more about our church, we'd love to have you. Lunch is provided. You can sign up at the Information Center. Uh, lunch is provided. Love to have you. Uh, child care provided. Um, and if you want to know about membership, that would be the class you take. But if you want to do this facility thing or facilitator thing and you're not a member, you need to be a member so that you need to take that class. Thirdly, we have the Grow class. September 6th, three hours, and a lot of that class is us, me showing you some easy ways for you to read the Bible and know the Bible. We get it and knock it out in about three hours. Uh, love to have you be a part of that, if you, especially if you want to do this facilitated, but it's open to everybody. 
So if you're sitting here this morning going, ah, I'd like to know how to, I, I can't, I can, you know, I can only do so much. I'm one man. Um, highly talented. <laughs> Just kidding. Grow class. Sign up for that. Um, I think there's a sign-up sheet for that. I might not have gotten that out yet, but I think there is one. All right? Looking for teammates. I'm not a lone ranger. Men, women. I know women love this because they always sign up for stuff like this. Men. You need to sign up for this. We always get the women to sign up for stuff. We're going to do it God's way. Women are awesome. We want them serving. God wants them serving. But men, you definitely need to be doing this. You better sing. I think they're... <laughs>